The sermon lesson is from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the gospel of the Lord. Our good Father, our prayer is that of the psalmist who prayed that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and that it would lead us in the way of life. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Early on in Jesus' ministry, he told a parable or a story about a man who was walking through a field. And as this man was walking through this field, he stumbled across a treasure. We're not given details about what was in this treasure or about the value of it, but we get hints at what happens next. And so this man did not own this field, and so he goes back and he sells everything that he owns in order to go and buy this field. And Jesus is clear in telling the story of what is going on on the inside of this man's heart as he sells everything he has in order to purchase this field. Jesus is very specific. He says, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What does that tell you about how much this treasure was worth to him? What kind of hints does it give us about the value of what has been hidden in this field that he would be willing to take everything that he has in life and sell it away and do so with joy in order that he might have this treasure? And then comes the teaching moment for Jesus because he connects it with this greater theme called the kingdom of God. And he says the kingdom of God is like that treasure. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What Jesus is telling his disciples, these early followers, and even us today, is that there is something that is worth selling all and giving all in order that we might have, in order that we might be a part of, in order something that we might be brought into. It may sound strange, but this idea of, of the Kingdom is one of the most important, perhaps the most important theme in all of Scripture. If you just go to the Gospel of Matthew, this idea of the kingdom comes up over 50 times. It's the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of Mark where He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And so, as a church, we've been walking through this prayer that Jesus gave His disciples, what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. And what we've been seeing along the way is that this is not just something that we pray, 
This is something that we live. This prayer was not just given to pull us closer into a relationship with God, but it was given to really reshape and reframe everything about how we live and what we live for. And where we've come today is this part of the prayer early on where after praying, God, would your name be hallowed? Would you be seen and loved and trusted in and followed? Now we get to this bigger story of being brought into God's work. And it's this prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done. And the question that we're asking this morning is simply, what does this mean? Uh, What does Jesus want us to pray when we pray these words? What does Jesus want us to desire when we pray these words? How is our lives meant to be reshaped and reoriented around this prayer that Jesus gives this prominent place in the Lord's Prayer too? And so here's what we're going to try to boil it down to. As we pray, Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as is in heaven, I believe we're praying for two things. We are praying for the healing of the world, and we are praying for those are very different things, but as I hope we'll discover, they are very much interrelated and connected. So first, we're praying for the healing of the world. You could easily say over the past 25 years that Uh, With the the rise of the internet and social media, just the amount of data we have, observable data about human behavior and human interactions has grown exponentially. What that just means is we just, we've learned more about people. We have more observations about how they relate to one another. Think about it as one big study in the story of humanity. And I wonder if if you ask the average person on the street, of observing this giant study and all the data and making sense of it, do you have a more optimistic view of humanity or a more pessimistic view of humanity? I think most of us would say that that the rise of the internet and social media, while much good we have been able to see, it's also brought to light so much that is off in our world. And the scary part is what we see on the internet is really a a scrubbed up version of humanity. So there's this group of people, um, there was an article in Wired magazine that looked into this very specific job of content monitoring for social media companies. And so... It's a, it's a fascinating and also terrifying job. There's about 100,000 people around the world where their sole job is, quote, to scrub the world's media sites, mobile apps, and cloud storage services. And what they're doing is picking up the worst of humanity in order to protect the rest of us. And so you go into your office and scribbled on the whiteboard is lists of all the things that they are looking for. Uh, gore, pornography, exploitation of children, racism, brutal street fights, animal torture, suicide bombings, decapitations, horrific traffic accidents. This is what they watch all day in order to keep us from, in order to create a buffer for us between all that's in humanity. 
And according to one of the workers, they say, everybody hits a wall generally between three and five months. You'll think, what am I spending my day doing? This is awful. It just gives you a darker view of humanity. When we pray for the healing of the world, we are acknowledging that all is not well. All is not right. Lies, deception, rape, abuse, adultery, abandonment, murder, theft, greed, lusts, misuse of power, racism, classism, sexism, war, nuclear weapons, genocide, terrorism, brutality, apathy, poverty, hunger, division, pollution, manipulation, fear, guilt, shame, anxiety, despair, suicide, sexual confusion, cancer, dementia, And we could keep going on and on and on. But perhaps the the most clear sign that something's not right in our world is just the reality of death. Because everything else I just listed, we, we, we can push back and fight against us and have some sense that we're doing good and we're doing well and we can still maintain some level of, of hope that we're going to put a dent in it. But when it comes to something like death, there is this inescapable finality to it. We can push it back and keep pushing it back, but at the end, we cannot escape it. And it's something that we're completely powerless against. With all of modern technology and advances in healthcare, it's something that we all have to face. And and all of this points to four deeper problems. Number one, something has gone terribly wrong in our relationship with God. Two, something has gone terribly wrong with humanity's relationship with one another. Three, something has gone terribly wrong inside of us. Not just an out there, but in every human heart, there is a kind of bentness. And fourth and finally, there's something gone terribly wrong in creation itself. So much so that that Paul, the apostle in Romans 8, talks about the world as, as in this state of groaning and longing and pushing against this futility. And this is where God could have just looked at the world that He had made out of love, out of His fullness, to share in His life. And he could have just said, this world has gone terribly wrong and they want nothing to do with me and so I'm just going to give up and I just need to start over. I remember years ago, the the Chick-fil-A over on Beachwood was going through this this big renovation and on the sign there was a marquee, it said something like, pardon our progress, we're renovating at the moment, be open again soon. And it makes sense. Um, something that needs work. You take time to renovate it and it's open up later. But as I looked at the sign and I looked past it, I had to laugh, kind of chuckle to myself because behind the sign there was absolutely nothing. (laughs) So there was no building. uh, There was no rubble. Uh, This is not a a renovation. This is a complete demolition and saying we're done with this and I'm going to build something completely new. New materials, new structure. Um, when everything 
went wrong in our world, God could have easily done something similar, saying, I'm just going to start over with something different and maybe it will work out better this next time. But God started a work that has been growing that is to mend what has gone so terribly wrong and what is deeply broken. And one of the great places, you see in the Old Testament a buildup. There are whispers of this hope that continue to grow and grow and you see God moving in increasingly powerful and personal ways. And one of the ways you see glimpses of God's plan is through the Old Testament prophets. Uh, Yes, they would speak against the injustices that were happening in their day and about the real brokenness, but in most of the prophets, there is a message of hope that it ends with, that God's going to do something to put what is wrong right. In his book, titled, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, Cornelius Plantinga talks about it like this. He says the prophets kept dreaming of a time when God would put things right again. They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out, rough places made plain, the foolish would be made wise, and the wise made humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower, The mountains run with wine. Weeping would cease. Go to sleep without weapons on their laps. People would work in peace and to fruitful. All nature would be wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And all nature and all humans would look to God, walk with God lean toward God, and delight in God. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation and justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means so much more than a cease firing between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. I want you to think about the New Testament lesson that was read. This is Jesus' first basic sermon that we're able to hear. And he grabs the prophet Isaiah and reads a hopeful passage of what God is going to do to make things right. The Hebrews had, had awaited someone who would be anointed, a Messiah, And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after saying all that, he rolls up this scroll, this prophetic word from Isaiah and says, today this has been fulfilled. I am the great beginning of this work that was promised and anticipated. I am God's kingdom breaking into our world to bring healing and hope. In the story, The Lord of the Rings, there's the capital city of Gondor where they've long awaited the return of this true king who would bring this city into a new season of flourishing. And there was an old legend that addressed how they would know when the true king had come to start this reign that would bring hope 
and healing. And the legend goes like this, the hands of the king are the hands of the healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. What what Jesus is saying is that my hands are the hands of a healer. The true king has come, and as I am coming, I have come to bring healing and hope here and now. You could call the kingdom of God the restorative reign of Jesus. Or Jesus using his power to reign and bring about restoration and true peace and true flourishing and true life into a world and into lives that have gone terribly wrong. And that is what we are praying for in this prayer. Your kingdom come. That this restorative reign would increasingly break in and bring healing and bring hope to everything that it touches. And that brings us to the second part of this prayer, which is related. And that is, your will be done. So the other day, one of my boys was learning to play a song on guitar, and he, he researched the song, he got the notes, and everything was right, and he began to play the notes in exactly the way that it was written and the way they were meant to be played, but it became very clear right away that, okay, something is off. Because what you're playing sounds nothing like what we're listening to and what you're trying to play. And it was nothing about what he was doing. It was rather that the guitar was completely out of tune. And there are different ways to put an instrument in tune, but mainly what you're trying to do is say there is this ideal note, a G, a C, a D, or an E, that I'm trying to adjust my instrument so that it perfectly sounds in that. So there is this beautiful harmony between the two. That's that's what being in tune means. In Jesus' life and in his ministry and even in his heart, what we see is someone who is perfectly in tune with both the heart of the Father as well as the work of the Father. There is no dissonance. There's no jarring gap between these two. They are two in perfect harmony that are playing together as one. When it comes to our lives and when it comes to our hearts, that same harmony does not exist. What often happens and what the problem in the human heart is that we are out of tune with the heart of the Father and His work. And part of what God is doing and what we are praying here is that we would be set more and more in tune so that our lives, our words, our actions are more reflective of God and what He is doing in this world to bring healing and to bring hope. When I was in high school, there were these shirts that were trending and it seemed like everywhere Uh, and it took whatever you were into like football and it said football is life the rest is just details do y'all remember those soccer is life the rest is just details and everybody would pick their interest and what they loved and they would wear this shirt Um, and it was cool 
Jesus's motto that he is teaching us here is the kingdom of God is life. Everything else is just details. In the Sermon on the Mount, um, what we have is Jesus's most extensive teaching. And he addresses so many things about human life and belief and actions and and all the things that we're anxious about, the things we give our lives to. Uh, But he's very clear about what is to take central place in our lives. He says, of all these things you are worried about and anxious about, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. I remember late in high school um, when I was really wrestling in a personal way with the Christian faith um, and had, had just come to be a follower of Christ. Um, that verse was very powerful to me. Those are the first words I ever memorized, some because they're easy, but some because it, it was so central to what I wanted my life to be about. Seek first his kingdom. This is Jesus saying, What my father is about and what you are meant to be about is bringing healing and bringing hope to a world in need. This work of bringing the kingdom is like a treasure that Jesus not only lived his life for, but died for and rose again for. There's a powerful scene in scripture on the night before Jesus was crucified where he he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying with his disciples and he's encouraging them to pray because Jesus himself feels this oppressive weight of darkness and heaviness about what he is about to endure because his disciples don't get it and we scarcely get what he went through but he feels it he knows what he is going through he says my soul is sorrowful even to death, sweating even drops of blood. And as he's wrestling with his father, he prays this prayer, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done. Not once, not twice, but three times. This is not Jesus praying this prayer because his heart is out of alignment with the Father, but he is experiencing pressure like we have never known and saying, Father, this is what I want to be about. This is what we came for. This is what we are doing. Give me the strength to give my life for this people. And what we read in Isaiah is that by his wounds are we healed. That is where healing is brought in and that is where Hope is brought in. It was his life and his prayer. And so I want to just close with with a few thoughts on this. I'd encourage you to do um, a little bit of thought work this week. And, and, And try to imagine what it might be like for God's kingdom to break in in more powerful ways. In your own heart. What would it look like for the restorative reign of Jesus to bring more healing and more hope to govern and to put back together? What would it look like for the restorative reign of Jesus to break more into your relationships with friends, with family, 
with spouse, with co-workers, with children, with parents? What would it look like for the restorative reign of Jesus to, to break into your work and the work that you do? What would it look like for your work and your field of study to be governed and renewed by this restorative reign of Jesus? So that the healing hands of the king are felt through your own hands, working healing wherever God has called you. What would it look like in our community? What would it look like around the world? After church today, as we talk about not only where our church has been, but where we hope to go, that's at the very heartbeat of who we are. That's why resurrection was started. Um, we didn't start because we were bored. Um, we didn't start because we wanted to um, try to do something that was really difficult. We didn't start because we wanted to uh, make a big church. Uh, we started because God is doing this beautiful world and we wanted to jump in on it and be all in it and give ourselves to be a part of God breaking into our world in new ways. And so may this be our prayer this week over and over. Um, your kingdom come, healing in our world, and your will be done. Tune our hearts to your heart. Let's pray. Our good Father, we thank you that um, you are good and, and patient and wise and faithful. And thank you that you are tuning us. For those um, who are hearing this and, and feel like they are on the outside, would uh, you move deeply in their hearts that the kingdom is something that they want to be a part of and want to be brought into and see it as something good, as something beautiful and not something, it's not an oppressive regime. Uh, it's your life breaking in to bring healing and hope. May it be so more and more and more. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.